Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I am Jason Kong, and I have the pleasure of being here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you today? <laughs> I love the way you say that, Jason. Good good morning. It's great for another Saturday. How about that? It is. It is. And mm-hmm. it, it is a pleasure to be here with you, Bill. I, <laughs> I learn a lot. You're a nice guy to be around. And these shows are always informational, so I, I appreciate them. Okay. I, well, I, I learn as much as I work here. You are very kind, Jason. I enjoy these things, as you know, and, and this is a lot of fun for me to just to be able to talk about things that I think are important to people and that can help them. Uh, particularly my seniors, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's important. Uh, so anyway, uh, the, I wanted to start today um, talking about, uh, um, in some ways, a health issue, and, and that has everything to do with stress. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all live a stress-free life? Uh, what would that be like? <laughs> well, the fact is, is that all of us have stress, uh, some a whole lot more than others. Uh, that there, There's no question about that. And all of us have greater stress at times of our life. Um, and you know, there's a lot of different things that can bring it on. And of course, our job is to try to avoid it if we can. But oftentimes, it's unavoidable. Uh, I mean, uh, right now, uh, clearly, the stress of the day or the stress of the year is, what do you think it would be for all of us? Uh, let's see, it continues to be COVID-19. No, no question about it. I mean, that's something that gives all of us angst. Uh, I, I, so, I, I know so many people, particularly seniors, uh, who have... Um, they're scared to death to go out of their home because of this horrible disease. And, and the disease, of course, is, is um, one that strikes people differently. I mean, you, you, one person can catch it and uh, be able to recover uh, completely uh, in fairly short others order, and other people uh, catch it and die within a couple of weeks, and that is includes young and old. I mean, it's not a, not necessarily because you are compromised. Um, you, you know, uh, it, that's that's the really scary part. And of course, uh, uh, you know, since um, uh, this month, th- you know, things have opened up to some degree, uh, but now it, it's getting worse again. So people are extremely um, scared of it. As and and quite frankly, we should respect it. It is it's a dreaded disease that we need to keep. Um, mindful of and take precautions for ourselves and our families but but you know there's tons of other stressors that uh, were existence uh, inexistent prior to COVID-19 and the pandemic and and they continue uh, in fact for a lot of folks it's even gotten worse uh, the stress has gotten worse because it's a normal stress but COVID-19 has made it uh, 10 times worse and, and, of course, that could be our work environment. You know, a lot of folks have been working at home, 
And, um, you know, there are a lot of folks that working from home is actually, I mean, it sounds funny. Yeah, you don't have to commute, but at the same time, you don't get to be around your coworkers, which for a lot of us, that companionship and change of scenery is important to us, you know. And so now some folks uh, love it and some people hate it. So, so <laughs> you know, we're all different human beings. And that's one of the nice things about uh, life is that we're all unique. But uh, so there are a lot of things in our work environment uh, that um, uh, can bring on stress. And it might be because you have a report due or, uh, you know, you're working with other folks that you have difficulty working with. Uh you know, hopefully that's not the case, but, you know, there are a lot of things in our work. And then home stress uh, is a whole lot worse today <laughs> because of, uh, of being at home. And the, the, for those who have school-aged children, oh, my goodness, I, I don't know how folks uh, are dealing with that, but basically trying to be an educator at the same time, a homemaker and a, a pr- productive person who earns income all at the same time. Uh, you know, I, that's really, really tough. I mean, and, you know, any of us could do it for a week or two, but to do it for a year or two, <laughs> that, that makes it uh, a whole lot worse when, when you're thinking about it. I, I, I have an associate. Uh, attorney who is in that very boat she has teenagers and she's you know she's had to go part-time and trying to take care of things at home and trying to take care of things at the office and to take care of her kids who are a handful you know that's a pretty um pretty amazing when you think about it and then there are those who are caring for their parents um, or caring for a spouse and, um, you know, doing it alone if you, uh, you know, without enough assistance. And that's a, a huge point. And so many of my clients are caring for a spouse uh, and they're unwilling to take a break. Uh, and part of that is because um, it might be because they don't think anybody else can take care of their spouse as well as they can, but more than likely it's because they know that the cost of that care could uh, basically uh, 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 take away their nest egg that they know that they will need for the rest of their life as well. And that financial stress uh, is important. But, you know, I've said for many years that uh, that families need to focus as much on the caregiver as to the person being cared for. And that respite it is a, a, a huge recipe uh, for success, that people need to take a break from time to time uh, from that which is causing stress. I mean, that's why people who work hard take vacations, the same thing. And all the studies show when you take a vacation, it makes you more productive when you come back to work. Well, and of course, there are lots of other stresses in our lives. You know, getting married is is stressful for a lot of folks. You know, thinking about uh, the future and whether it holds promise or 
Getting a divorce on the other end uh, is extremely stressful, particularly when it comes to the finances and the, uh, all of the horrible things that uh, go with a breakup. Um, so, you know, and then you have those folks who what I call my sandwich uh, clients, and, and those are the ones who were taking care of not only their children, but they're also taking care of their parents and a job and their marriage uh, all at the same time. And, uh, you know, uh, that's a pretty high stress level. But I got one for the ages, you know. <laughs> you know what that is? What's that? It's probably the most stressful day or two that a person can have. And, uh, and I'm not talking about the death of a spouse. That obviously is a stressful time as well, and that can last for more than a day or two. But putting it down to a day or two, and this um, is something that uh, I have not had to experience for some 45 years, but my son Thomas Alexander uh, this past week took the North Carolina bar exam. Uh, now, I can assure uh, that um, it is the most stressful day that he, actually two days, that, that Thomas will ever encounter. I remember it so well myself, you know, how we tend to remember those days in our lives uh, that uh, we're, we remember those stressful days, quite frankly, and I'll never forget the the day that I the the morning as we were standing outside the the proctored site for our exam, and it was actually Memorial Hall right here in in uh, Raleigh. That's before I mean this was forty five years ago. This was before Memorial Hall was fixed up. <laughs> you know, it's a pretty glamorous place today, but. Mm. Uh, it needed some repairs back then. Uh, it's worse than the CPA exam. You know, the CPA exam's uh, divided into four parts. And if you fail one or two parts, you can actually take those over again, and you don't have to take over the parts that you passed. Well, the bar exam's not that way. It's pass-fail. And the thing about the bar exam, if you think about it, is the fact that you've studied through high school to do well and to get into a, a good college. And then you've studied another four years and worked really hard to get into to graduate school or to law school. Uh, and so, okay, you've got uh, eight years of schooling where you've been pushed to work hard and succeed. Now, you've somehow managed to get into law school. And guess what? You've got another three years of hard work, hard study, and harder than college, way harder than high school. And it's a big investment for folks to take because three years of law school typically will take somewhere in the neighborhood of 150000 to $250,000 uh, over that three-year period. And for some law schools, it's more than that. You know, it just, just depends. And, of course, if you are lucky enough to have a scholarship uh, that pays for part of it, great. But even then, you're, 
So you're, you, you know, even with a scholarship, you might be down at the hundred and fifty thousand dollar mark instead of the two fifty or three hundred. But big investment, okay. You finish law school, and then you have to study, and it's temp- typically a ten to twelve week study for the bar exam, which is seven days a week, generally twelve plus hours a day of studying. And I can tell you from, my, from Thomas. Uh, during that whole 12-week period, he had one day off. That was the 4th of July. Otherwise, seven days a week, no break, that one day, that was it. For And, and now it, it, it came all to two days of testing. Now, to me, your and, of course— the thing about it is, when you take the bar exam, you know that there's a fairly large percentage of people who fail, and so you, that it's. I can tell you from my own experience, it by far was the hardest test I ever took in my life. And when I finished, I had, I thought I did okay, but was I confident that I passed the test back then? No. I wasn't, and Thomas won't be either. It takes about a month or more to get your, to know whether or not you passed this test, and it's the hardest test you've ever taken in your life, and it's like, you know, you're on pins and needles until then, but, you know, once you take the test and it's over, at least that stress, the big stress, is is off your back, Um, you know, and, and for those who have uh, been lucky enough to secure a job, uh, your job depends on whether you pass. Because if you don't pass, you don't, you know, the job's not there for you. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is for those folks who have uh, borrowed a lot of money to go to law school, which is the highest, I mean, most students do, in fact, have to borrow a good bit of money to make it through, and of course, you have you know student loans, which are are fairly uh, easy to procure, which is nice. But guess what? Your ability to repay those loans if you fail uh, is not particularly good either. <laughs> so now you can take it again if you if you fail, and and you know you get a couple more tries. But you know that's that's about as scary as it gets. And so I, I am so glad that Thomas has gotten through that. Uh, he, can, he can become a human being again. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, I would wish for all of us a stress-free life, knowing that we all have to have stress during our life, and, and it's thrust upon us whether we want it or not, and we just have to deal with it. And, and for uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's just part of life. Well, we often talk about respite on this show, so I hope Thomas is, is now getting some respite. Oh, I can assure you <laughs> that he's in respite stage now. Well, and it, it wasn't in the in the not too distant past that he also got married. So uh, life as a newlywed and finishing up law school and taking the bar exam—that's. And all this during COVID as well. Um, well, I can tell you this. Getting married was the easiest thing he ever did, the best <laughs> thing he ever did. So that, that's, uh, uh, that, that, uh, you know, sometimes it creates stress. Now, probably more, a lot more stress on his wife as far as getting married goes. But, you know, that was a good thing.
Well, we've got plenty of other topics that we are going to get to today. I want to remind you, if you want to find more information about Bill, you can go to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's where you can go if you would like to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. Maybe you have some questions for him or you have some legal documents that you would like to have reviewed. WGALaw.com is where you can go. And that's also where you can register for Bill's webinars. These are coming up, happening on Wednesday, August 11th. Bill has two webinars that he will be doing that day, one on long-term care assistance, dealing with Medicaid and VA benefits, as well as an afternoon session dealing with asset protection and trust planning. WGALaw.com is where you can go. Click on the seminars button. It's free to register, free to attend as well. WGALaw.com. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. WGALaw.com is where you can find more information about Bill. Maybe you want to read up on him and the services that he and his team provide, as well as register for Bill's free seminars happening on Wednesday, August 11th. WGALaw.com is the website to go to. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and... Bill, uh, we often, uh, when we talk about legislation, there are, there are unintended consequences, and sometimes that works in our favor, and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, you found something interesting about the SECURE Act when well, it comes to retirement. Well, I did. I, I, it was, it's a real quirk if, if you—and so I hope folks will listen to it. It's a little different, but—and uh, I'm not sure that people will take advantage of the opportunity that it— actually exist, but I'm, it's one that I've got to give a little more thought to myself. But to give some background, we're talking about retirement accounts. And for most people today, they don't have pensions much anymore. Uh, you know, state employees do, federal employees do, military uh, has pensions, but there are very few employers uh, anymore out there that's not government-related that um, that has a pensions and instead for many years uh, uh, employers have moved over to 401ks uh, as a retirement plan and or individual retirement accounts IRAs uh, and and so uh, for a number of years uh, at least for 20 years I've encouraged uh, clients uh, until the SECURE Act that to consider um, what we call stretch IRAs for our children. Uh, Because until the SECURE Act was passed, um, uh, an inherited IRA that, in other words, if you left your IRA to a a child or grandchild, uh, they actually had to take required minimum distributions every year after they inherited the IRA. But 
they're they are young, and so their distribution was just minuscule, very little, and so the the account would grow like a weed, um, even though they had to take small distributions each year. Uh, because truthfully, most IRAs that are well invested, even when you reach uh, your required beginning date and you start taking distributions. Uh, well-invested IRAs should grow your uh, about the first eight to ten years, uh, grow more than what you're taking out. If all if all you're taking out is minimum required distributions, um, then your account should grow. And of course, if you're younger, then it's obviously going to grow a whole lot more. Um, but okay, so what happened? The Secure Act changed how uh, you have to take required minimum distributions um, for inherited IRA. Now, there are, I think, five exclusions, the biggie being your spouse. So what that basically means is your spouse is treated like under the old rule. So he or she can either roll it over uh, to their own IRA or they can uh, take it uh, as an inherited IRA with uh, distributions um, uh, based on your own minimum required distributions. Um, Now, but for, let's say, the most common after that is your children. Okay, so in the past, of course, your children could stretch it out over their lifetime. Now, the SECURE Act says, nope, you have to take that distribution within 10 years of your death. Now, it's so in essence, for most people, that basically means that there are 11 tax years in which you can take your uh, distributions. Now, uh, now, what? How does that work? Let's say. Uh, that you die today, all right, in July of uh, 2021. Uh, Now, that means that my child who has inherited the IRA has this year to take a distribution, and then in the last year will be that 11th year up until today, today's anniversary 10 years up the road so 11 tax years to take those distributions and so obviously it depends a little bit on when you die because if you die in january it's going to be you know you you have that you have 11 months to start and then you only have one month at the very end if you die in december you got the opposite you (laughs) and and if you die on december 31st then you got 10 years (laughs) so uh, but for most of us, we have actually 11 tax years where we can take that distribution. Okay, so um, now, and also I will tell you that the Internal um, Revenue Service just came out with a publication. Now, here's the rub. This is the thing that really makes you mad as a, as a legal advisor or a CPA, is that an IRS publication even though it's put out by the IRS to assist taxpayers in how they do things, it does not have the force of law. 
And so what that basically means is if you do what their publication says and it turns out that the IRS changes its mind or a tax court says, no, that's not what the law is, guess what? You you lose (laughs) if you've done exactly what the IRS has told you you're supposed to do. So uh, that's one thing. But So what did this publication say? It said even though you have, in essence, 10 years from the date to take all of your distributions, date of death, uh, 11 tax years to take your distributions, you still have minimum required distributions or required minimum distributions uh, each year based on your age. Now, a lot of tax advisors did not think that was the case, that uh, that you didn't did not have to take required minimum distributions. And there would be one exception to that rule, and that would be Roth IRA. So if you inherit a Roth IRA, you have 11 tax years to uh, take it out, uh, but you don't have to take out a nickel until the last day of the anniversary of the death of, of the decedent who died giving you the the uh, Roth IRA. So that's the background, if you will. So what's the quirk? <laughs> and and truthfully, I was surprised because my knee jerk when I was asked this question was wrong. And, and you know, uh, you know, we, you can't know everything. Uh, but I was I knew I needed to look it up, so I did. And what I found was in, incredible in some ways. And so here's here's where the quirk involves. Let's say that on your IRA, you do not designate a beneficiary. Um, now, obviously, it's nice to designate a beneficiary, but you know you avoid probate and court administration, and it goes directly to your beneficiary, which is really nice, and that's what we've always encouraged people to do. But let's say you haven't done it, or let's say that you uh, did it, but that your beneficiary died. In other words, you left everything to your your spouse, but your spouse died, and you didn't name anybody else, even though you have three or four children. You didn't name them as a beneficiary. So what do you think happens to the IRA when you do not have a beneficiary? Uh, it goes to probate? Exactly. Yeah. It goes to your estate, which must be uh, probated with court administration of your estate. Okay? So, now, how do you think that your IRA will be treated um, when it goes to your estate? Well, my knee jerk, which was wrong, was that you have the five-year rule for distributions, okay, because there is a five-year rule, okay? So the, 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 now with the SECURE Act, you have the 10-year rule, 10-year from date of death, for inherited IRAs for um, where you have a beneficiary to your children, grandchildren, or most other beneficiaries. Um, now, you have a five-year rule in place that's been there for a long time before the SECURE Act. So, for instance, if you left um, your, you know, designated a beneficiary to your trust and your trust was not uh, well-written to include provisions for how to deal properly with an IRA, 
then because your your trust is not a natural person, if you will, you end up with what's called the five year rule, and and that in other words, five years to make the distributions. Now, um, so that was what I assumed was the rule, and that's where I was exactly wrong. Um, now. Obviously, if it goes to your estate, it's obviously still not going to a natural person, and that's why I thought the five-year rule would be in place. And the five-year rule is in place under one circumstance, okay? But it's not under the other circumstance, and that's the quirk, okay? So what is it? If the decedent who owned the retirement account dies before the required beginning date and you and there's no beneficiary then the whoever inherits the account through probate has the five-year rule okay but and here's the quirk that's really interesting because this can be skewed in a lot of advantageous ways for appropriate families. If it goes to the estate with where you've already reached your required beginning date. Now, the SECURE Act changed the required beginning date, Jason. So what? how old are you when you reach your required beginning date? This is a test. Oh, boy. Is it 72 Correct. All right. Yay, you get an A today. Uh, uh, and um, now, the old rule was 70 and a half, but under the SECURE Act, it changed to age 72. So that's your required beginning date. So the year you turn 72 is the year that you must take a required minimum distribution. Now, so let's say that you're 73 years old, and so you've clearly reached your required beginning date, and you die, and you don't have a beneficiary. The rule is that your heirs, or you know who you've left your property to under your will, actually get your, that is the decedent's, life expectancy table up to 17 years. Now, that's pretty cool if you think about it because uh, the, the fact is that depending on the age of the decedent, um, that could give your children and grandchildren uh, a much longer period of time to take their distributions, uh, depending on certain. Now, there's some other rules that that come into play, but the fact is, is that that is pretty cool because instead of 11 tax years, you can have seven up to 17 tax years, depending on what age you are. But obviously, there's a factor in there between 11 and 17. The younger you are gives you up to 17 years. And so if you died at, at I'm assuming that if you died at age 72, that, that you would have 17 years left uh, on that. So that's a quirk in the system, and but that's the law. And that, you know, I when I looked it up, I was going, gee whiz, that's, that's 
interesting. <laughs> well, we, we always learn some very interesting facts on this show, and uh, that's one of them. And it's one of the, one of the things where uh, you don't know what you don't know. And it's, it's good that you had the foresight to go in and look that up. And it may have been opposite from what you thought. But, you know, going in and doing that research and figuring it out, well, hopefully that can help mm-hmm. some people with their planning. We are taking a quick break. Don't forget, WGALaw.com is where you can go to find more information about Bill. Maybe you want to register for the seminars happening on Wednesday, August 11th. These cover the subjects of long-term care assistance, deals with Medicaid and VA benefits, and there's also a session dealing with asset protection and trust planning. They are free to attend. It's free to register. They are in the form of webinars currently, so you can attend these from the comfort of your own home. All you need is a device with an internet connection and an email address, and you're good to go. Just head over to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button, and hurry up because Wednesday, August 11th is just around the corner. WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button, or you can call the office, 919 919- Nine two five six seven thousand nine one nine two five six seven thousand. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, for those who have listened to this show for any amount of time, they will know that you are a very strong proponent of making sure that when you are in retirement age that uh, hopefully you you don't have a mortgage attached to your home. And uh, you're a big fan of, in general, just being debt-free. No question about it. That, that to me, is is one of the most important goals that people should have uh, in terms of how they're structuring their savings and uh, their budget. In term, I, I mean, all of us should strive to be debt-free um, by the time we retire. It makes retirement so much easier financially, make, makes our budget go a lot farther if we don't have a mortgage to pay or credit card debt to pay. Um, and it also recognizes that most of us in retirement have fixed incomes that do not necessarily keep up with inflation. And so even though Social Security has a cost of living increase, uh, anybody who's a senior uh, on Social Security knows that the increases in Medicare premiums typically has eaten up uh, all of their increase uh, that you might get on the Social Security side. So, and of course, health care inflation is far higher than normal uh, cost of living increases or normal inflation. 
And so t typically, healthcare and education costs have risen far higher than normal inflation rates, and Social Security is based on normal inflation rates, and Medicare is based on those high inflation rates. And so what I'm getting at is that, you know, a lot of folks will live 20, 25, even 30 years or more in retirement. And each year their buying power gets less and less. And so, yes, I am an advocate for that, uh, for, for retiring debt-free for many, many reasons. Uh, and I'm also a huge advocate for having your mortgage paid off because that's, uh, even though it's low interest for the most part, it's still a debt that uh, gives you far more spending power in retirement. And you have no downsides. You can't lose your house if it's already paid for. <laughs> Not as long as you can afford to pay the the uh, taxes and and uh, insurance premiums. So it 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 makes such a big difference. But there is one debt that's worse than all other debts for sure, no question about it. And it's the most important debt to get paid off as quick as possible. So what do you think that is? Oh, that would be high-interest credit card debt. No question about it. And quite frankly, there are an awful lot of folks, because of the pandemic, that have have struggled. And part is because folks have lost jobs and other folks have, uh, even seniors, ha have had added expenses uh, in retirement because of the pandemic. And for those who've had to borrow through a credit card, there are a lot of seniors who are in credit card debt, and and that's something where you, there need, there has to be a focus on getting that credit card debt paid just as quickly as possible. But I mean, for instance, um, for a lot of credit cards, if you owe five thousand dollars, that is outstanding, you know. The interest payment alone is going to be close to seventy dollars a month. Well, that really takes it away if you if you think about it. And so, um, all right. So, the bottom line is to avoid credit card debt uh, as much as possible, and that's true for young people as well. You know, credit card debt is hard to get out of, and the worst situation anybody can be in is is being having a credit card debt that you can't pay off each month. Now, I'm a believer in using a credit card, but to have it paid off each month so that you don't accumulate interest. You know, the credit card companies are uh, banking on the fact that there are going to be months out there where you're late or you just say, oh, I'll pay it next month. You know, this is a difficult month for me, or I've had a big car expense or a big this or that. And, you know, it's kind of thing where that's just not good planning, but there are a lot of folks who actually do it. And then those folks who can barely get by with just paying the interest, that, that's the worst case to be in. So what are some options if you found yourself in credit card debt? Well, number one, the easiest way uh, to avoid high interest is to transfer your entire debt, in other words, to a uh, zero interest rate introductory uh, balance with another credit card. 
you know, if you can do that now, you know, there was a time period where there weren't many of those, but but these zero interest cards are coming back uh, at this point as an introductory rate for a year or sometimes six months or and I think there may be one out there that's even uh, as long as two years. But fact is, is that that is one way to get that interest off your back so that you can pay be paying principal with as much that you can pay each month. So that's one way to do it. All right, but l- let's say for whatever reason uh, that's not working for you. Well, you can actually call up your uh, card carrier, you know, whichever one it is, and ask for a break based on COVID. Uh, now, obviously, if you are uh, making payments each month and you're not behind, but you're struggling uh, to pay it, uh, that that's the best case scenario when you call a card company because if you if you've not paid your payments, then they're going to be less helpful to you because most cards, if you fail to make your payment, the interest rate jumps up, and so it could go from sixteen to twenty six percent, you know, because you, or whatever because you haven't you didn't make that payment on time. So you got to be really careful about that as well. But um, actually, um, uh, if you are able to tell the lender how and why the coronavirus has uh, affected your ability to pay, uh, many of the lenders will actually reduce the high interest rate uh, for a period of time. It might be six months to a year, but hey, any break you get helps you to pay it off. Now, Otherwise, you might go to your bank or credit union and simply ask for a loan. You know, now typically uh, banks and credit unions don't make smaller loans, but if you own, you know, if you owe five or ten thousand dollars, they will actually make make a loan. Uh, and it, you know, obviously, if you have a home, you can uh, you can do a uh, a loan based on. Um, uh, home equity, home equity loans, and that that helps. But the key is to get a plan to work it out. Worst case, if you have a job, you can do what's called a Chapter 13 bankruptcy. And I'm not, that's uh, basically not a full bankruptcy. It basically allows you to reduce your debt overall and gives you a number of years to pay it off. And obviously, we don't want to recommend that if, if there's any other option. But for those folks who have a job and regular income, that is another possibility. Well, those are some options that you can uh, wrap into your planning if you are in a situation where you're dealing with some high interest credit card debt. Bill, thank you for sharing those. We are taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Jason Kong here with 
Bill Alexander. And uh, Bill, I know you, uh, of course, COVID-19 remains on all of our minds, but you had something you wanted to share. Well, it's, it just it has everything to do with COVID. And clearly, we need to all continue to stay vigilant when it comes to avoiding COVID. And that means we need to go back and make sure we're washing our hands regularly, wearing our mask out. And that's even if we're vaccinated, you know, because at this point, it's really scary because when you go out and there are a lot of folks who are not wearing masks, you don't know who's vaccinated and who's not vaccinated uh, uh, because that's huge. And so all of us should still be wearing our masks when we go out, particularly uh, to shopping and places like that. And if folks are not vaccinated uh, for legitimate reasons or not, they need to wear a mask all the time when they're out to protect themselves and to protect others. Those folks who are what I call anti-maskers, if you will, uh, you need to recognize that, that, I mean, you have your rights, but you need to recognize that you're putting others at very high risk and, and you're, quite frankly, the ones who are responsible for a lot of the uh, uh, tragedies that we're seeing today. I mean, I, I look at those folks as those folks who drive down the highway at, at 90 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, uh, and, and they're obviously a danger. Sometimes they don't create an accident, but other times they do and kill folks themselves as well and that's where they are the only difference for us is we can't see those folks coming with covid (laughs) so for those folks who are anti-maskers who are unvaccinated please be aware uh, and protect yourself your family and community by wearing a mask and letting other folks know that you're not masked uh, and not vaccinated because it makes a big difference that's well said. And we're not out of the woods as we've seen with this Delta variant. So we, we do need to continue to stay vigilant. We're taking a quick break. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. And we will be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget, Bill's next seminar, next set of seminars are happening on Wednesday, August 11th. You can register online for free at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. Just click on the seminars button. These are free to attend, highly educational webinars dealing with the subjects of long-term care assistance, Medicaid, as well as VA benefits, and another session dealing with asset protection and trust planning. If you want to find more information, just go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button or call the office 919-256-7000. 2567000. We've got to run. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you will join us again next weekend for Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful weekend.